throughout the world. You can also find us on Facebook at Indigo Radio and on Instagram. The views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the host and the guests and not the radio station. Today's show, we're going to be talking a little bit about the Vermont Eugenics Survey and in general, the eugenics movement and forced sterilizations. And we're connecting this to a book award in Vermont called the Dorothy Canfield Fisher Book Award and why there has been a big push to change the name of that award. We'll be talking with Judy Dow, an Abenaki educator, and Lauren Perlstein, a school librarian, about why they support changing the name of the award. By the end of this month, Scott Murphy, the governor-appointed state librarian, will be making a decision about the name change. So let's just first start off, Kelly, with uh, what is eugenics? Can you describe what that is a little bit? Thanks, Becca. So um, eugenics is basically a set of beliefs and practices based on the idea of breeding out undesirable traits or even whole groups of people that are believed to share that trait. Um, Eugenics is a complete pseudoscience. Um, It's essentially a myth that was used to Um, as part of ethnic cleansing of people of color, as part of um, uh, subordination and control of immigrants, of poor people, of indigenous people here. Um, It's kind of based on this idea that um, traits are all genetic and that that if we um, breed out certain traits that they will never exist again, including poverty is genetic. So if poor people stop procreating, then there will be no more poverty. So it um, has nothing to do, it completely ignores the systemic factors of um, poverty. And it also, it also raises some questions such as, um, what are these qualities that are undesirable and who decides them? And also how do we measure them? Um, I think 80% of the women who were sterilized um, during the Vermont eugenics movement were actually labeled to be feeble-minded. Um, and so the, it was believed that if they stopped procreating, then um, they, we could somehow breed out these disabilities. But who decides what feeble-minded is and what does that mean? Um, definitely um, people, they have change the IQ requirement for um, having a cognitive disability with the stroke of a pen and a whole new group of people is deemed to have a disability. Um, And one last point, which is that um, the Third Reich, the Nazis actually really modeled their eugenics policies off of the eugenics policies in the United States and off of the United States eugenics movement. And their objective also was to subordinate and control, um, but they, um, Hitler himself said that he was inspired by um, the United States and their um, achievements in moving forward with creating a master race. And, you know, some people might say this happened a long time ago. It's not... Why are we talking about it? And actually, it's still incredibly relevant today. Um, Not only has the history of forced sterilization of women uh, been such a big part of our, um, the makeup of the history of this country, that Latina, Black, and Native women have been particularly targeted by these programs. And 
So this forced sterilization, this coercion of people has really upheld white supremacy. The views that um, the white race have these um, traits that are desirable. And also today, um, prisons are using sterilization as a means to, it's very connected to the eugenics movement of what are the traits that are desirable. If somebody, um, it's believed that if somebody lands themselves in prison, that they have traits that are undesirable, that should be taken away from the society. The person's locked up, but then they um, are sterilized a lot in California prisons. This was a big controversy that came up a couple years ago from 2006 to 2013 that people were being sterilized and women are, were being sterilized um, under like when they were giving childbirth, they were asked like, do you want to be sterilized? They're in these vulnerable situations. They might not even remember these conversations. And so it still is a forced sterilization, even in those moments that people do agree under those conditions. And the more recently a Tennessee judge was found to be offering reduced prison time in exchange for sterilization. And his justification was that we should prevent children being born to people who are using drugs. So I think criminals and people who are have the disease of addiction are kind of now seen as the uh, new brand of people who are feeble-minded or who should um, no longer be allowed to procreate if we want to keep on bringing these quote-unquote good traits into society. Um, and also the struggle over reproductive rights in general right now is really important to talk about, that women still don't have control of their bodies, that their um, places are being shut down um, that really provide the care for women. And one thing that I was thinking about is the same people who are anti-immigrant and who are um, wanting people of color to not be part of this country are also not allowing people to make choices over safe methods of birth control. And so I think it's a big contradiction among the right right now. Um, and I just wanted to say, you know, the other, um, other importance of this show today is talking about um, who we honor in society and what symbols we have to show who we honor and we're going to be talking later about statues being removed. And so I just wanted to bring into the forefront of our minds today uh, the attack in Charlottesville. Um, they voted to take down a statue of Robert E. Lee. And so the alt-right neo-Nazis and the KKK came to protest that. And there was a lot of tension. The counter-protesters were having a meeting about how to make this uh, peaceful protest when the KKK came by with torches shouting blood and soil the night before. And so tensions were high. People were on the streets and um, someone ran into the protesters in an act of terrorism. And so I just wanna keep those people in mind. 35 people are injured. There's still people in critical conditions and one person was killed during that protest along with two other state troopers who were killed in a helicopter crash. And so there are a couple events that are happening right now that I just wanted to share with our listeners. Um, the Love Brigades is having a um, gathering right now at the Brattleboro Museum 
to send postcards to Charlottesville. That will go till 1.30. And then at the Center Congregation Church here in Brattleboro at 2 p.m., there will be a rally in support and in solidarity. Tonight, also in Northampton, Western Mass stands with Charlottesville. From 7 to 8, people will be gathering at the Northampton City Hall. So when we come back, we will be speaking with Judy Dow and Lauren Pearlstein about the Vermont Eugenics Movement and its connection to the Dorothy Canfield Fisher Children's Book Award. But first, we have the traveling song stung, sung by a student named Lauren. Welcome back. You're listening to Indigo Radio on 107.7 FM, your community radio station. Today's show is about the Vermont Eugenics Survey and how it um, enforced you or how it supplied the information for the eugenics programs in Vermont and its connection to the movement to change the name of the Dorothy Canfield Fisher Book Award. Great. So we have in studio with us today Judy Dow and Lauren Pearlstein. Judy is an Abenaki educator and basket maker who specializes in sharing indigenous knowledge with children. She has taught at schools, museums, and community programs across the United States and Canada, and has also presented widely on the Vermont Eugenics Survey. And Lauren is the co-host on Indigo Radio, a graduate of the Spark Teacher Training Program, and a school librarian at Putney Central School. So welcome, and thanks for coming on with us today. Thank you. So Judy, can you start out by describing the Vermont Eugenics Survey and its connection to eugenics in Vermont? Sure, it was a group of like-minded people um, who were all progressive and the survey had, um, there were nine different studies that were done within the surveys. They did pred uh, pedigree 
studies, ethnic studies, rural studies, fitter family studies, and more. And um, the one that Dorothy Canfield Fisher was a member of was the rural studies. Yeah, so this survey was, what, what, were the, what was the intent of the survey? The intent of this survey was to collect data on Vermonters who they believed to be defective, dependent, and delinquent. Um, it was a true science to them at this time. They believed in dotting their I's and crossing their T's. It wasn't until much later that it was declared a pseudoscience. And um, so they had this room where they had all of these files and people of authority who were interested in specific families for one reason or another, um, teachers or lawyers or police or clergy um, or sci other scientists, they could come to this office and research uh, a particular family and then um, f uh, the result could be forced institutionalization or sterilization. So what, um, when you talk about sterilization, how was that happening here in Vermont? What was, how, how were people being institutionalized? What was the excuses that they were using? Well, they didn't understand, for the most part, the bigger picture. Sometimes it was something, something as simple as um, cohabitation. People living together who weren't married. Um, one of the partners might do something wrong. The police would come and institute that person institutionalize that person and discover that someone living th with them wasn't married and consequently that person was also institutionalized because of cohabitation and so the end result was then what happens to the children so then the children became institutionalized so it could be times were different back then and um, it could be something as simple as um, um, being late all the time for when the whistle blew for curfew and it was time to be in the house at nine o'clock. If you were constantly delinquent in that respect, it could be something that would cause you to be institutionalized. And so who was mostly targeted f by this program? Um, poor Franco-Americans and Ebeniki people, um, uh, French Indian people. And the f there were about 6,000 names in the survey. The first 1,000 names that were studied were people who were already um, institutionalized in state prisons and such. Um, the remaining 5,000 names came from five main families that surrounded the interval and were all intermarried. And then they, in the pedigree study, they did genealogy that brought those five families back to other parts of the state that included um, 62 communities. Wow. So one of the reasons why the show is so pressing and relevant um, today is because um, the is because of the Dorothy Canfield Fisher Book Award, which is a children's book award in Vermont. So. Um, it is a Vermont-based book award that allows kids to vote on their favorite books. All the books are relatively new, and um, of all the books they vote on, about 30 are chosen to read the award. Um, and so actually this, Dorothy Canfield Fisher was 
deeply connected to the Vermont eugenics movement. So Judy, I was wondering um, if you could talk about your work to get this award changed. Um, or as you're working on getting this award changed, like talk about who Dorothy Canfield Fisher was and her connection to the Vermont Eugenics Survey. So I kind of think of Dorothy Canfield Fisher as the same thing as layers of an onion. So the outside layer of the onion, the very thin layer that peels away, was her I'm a do-gooder, uh, noblesse oblige um, perspective of, that she gave to people. Um, and then as you get into the layers, you see her um, fiction, you see her nonfiction, you see her propaganda. And then in the very center of the onion, the very center layer, you see Dorothy with her gloves off in her personal correspondence um, saying horrific things and um, exposing the true Dorothy. Um, so her connections were that she was on the Vermont, she was a part of the, the Vermont Eugenics Survey by participating in the rural Vermont study. Um, she was a member on the Ideals and Traditions Committee and um, the, the survey was not only funded by the Vermont Eugenics Survey Program, but the, the third annual minutes reflect that they suspended all other surveys so the entire staff could work to support uh, Dorothy and her, um, and her other cohorts on this committee with the process of doing a rural study. Um, her, her literature that she writes uses eugenic speak. It was uh, the words of the time for the Progressive Party. And, um, and so her progressive attitudes appear in her fiction and her nonfiction and her pop propaganda for the state. Um, so for instance, she was charged on this study to um, encourage tourism in the state of Vermont and consequently she frequently spoke at um, Chamber of Commerce's. She created pamphlets to encourage tourism and in one of these pamphlets she, she um, sends out a special invitation to people who were um, professionally trained to use their brains for work. And she tells people who are in manufacturing or who bargain for a living that they need not look here for a second home um, because uh, they won't find common ground. Right, as if those people could afford a second home in the first <laughs> place, right? right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so Judy, we, you and I were talking before this that there's people who disagree that she wasn't, or say that she was naive or wasn't part of, didn't know that she was part of the Vermont Eugenics Survey. Could you respond to that? Yeah, um, so I've gotten lots of comments from people who believe Dorothy Campbell Fisher is Vermont's royalty and that she is a Vermonter for the world. Um, and um, in the more I've done the research, the more I realize things like, yeah, well, I thought we fought the Revolutionary War so we wouldn't have royalty in the <laughs> state. 
and I don't want her to rep be representative of Vermont in the world. And so there's, there's all this stuff that has come up, this opposition. Um, and the gist of what I've discovered from this people is, they, that, is that they know Dorothy Campbell Fisher inside out. They don't know anything about eugenics in Vermont or very little about eugenics in Vermont. So consequently, they can't make the leap from the eugenics to the um, Dorothy and right. her writing and right. her propaganda. Yeah, and I mean, there, you, in addition to her promoting eugenics, there's a lot of other reasons to oppose her. Right. Um, her, her language and her use of materials, she, um, she actually took from the Sandgate report one of the key studies that they did on the town of Sandgate and under a section called town rumors, she took the town rumors and made them the characters in her book Bonfire, which later got um, carried into Rough Hewn and um, Seasoned Timber. But it's not just, um, you know, how she, how she um, portrayed people in her book. It's, it's, her her persona of of noblesse oblige how she says i'm a do-gooder um uh, i have a noble obligation to do more for the for the poor but only what i want to do for the poor mm. not what the poor really needs or not what the francos really need and the language that she uses to to define some of these cultural groups when she takes the gloves off in her personal correspondence is extremely rude. Yeah. And I mean, you talked about she's stealing people's stories. Yes, she is. It's, um, so what's happened is this whole voice of theft in, in that when she, when she, um, writes her books to tell our story. She doesn't include us in telling a story. And the fact that it's taking us a hundred years from her first books to, to figure out that she's distorted and muffled and changed our story and to speak out doesn't mean that our opinion is false. It doesn't mean our opinion is fiction. It means that she used her power as an author to rewrite our story and consequently steal our voice. So I am going to share the name and phone number of the Vermont State Librarian who will be making this decision. Judy, is it in the coming week or by the end of the month? What did you um, say? He told me that he would be making a decision by the end of August because they needed to move forward with the, pro the program. So kind of the... Ver the um, final decision for the name of this book award is in his hands. Um, so if you would like to make your voice heard, his name is Scott Murphy. Again, he's the um, state librarian for Vermont, and his phone number is 802-828-3261. Again, that's Scott Murphy, Vermont state librarian, so you can call him and um, tell him what you think to help influence his decision. So we are going to go to a song break before we come back and hear a little bit more from Judy and we'll bring in Lauren at that time as well. This is a song from Baby Huey called Hard Times.
Welcome back. You're listening to Indigo Radio on 107.7 FM, Brattleboro's community radio station. Make sure to find us on Facebook and podcast Indigo Radio. You can get all of our um, previous shows and get updates from us. And we are also, Corey Sorensen is in the studio right now, live streaming on Instagram. No, maybe not, but Facebook. You know, but he's also our Instagrammer, and <laughs> we have uh, Lauren Perlstein. She's playing a double role today as the <laughs> DJ, or what do you call the person running the board? Yeah. Um, so anyway, sorry, that was a little shout out to all the people in the studio. I don't know if we introduced ourselves, Kelly. <laughs> I'm Becca Polk. I'm a, uh, <laughs> I'm a librarian. I am a middle school teacher, social studies in Springfield, Vermont, and I'm also a graduate of the Spark Teacher Training Program. And I am Kelly, and I am a third grade teacher in here in Brattleboro, and I am also a graduate of the Spark, Spark Teacher Training Program. So today we're talking about the Vermont Eugenics Program the forced sterilization of people and institutionalization as well as the survey that Dorothy Canfield Fisher played a big role in promoting and um, we're talking about changing the name of the Dorothy Canfield Fisher Book Award. So we're going to go back to Judy Dow who's an Abenaki educator, basket maker, researcher, historian. She kind of plays a lot, wears a lot of hats, right, Judy? (laughs) I do. So you've been working, I would say, for 20 years, but at least specifically over six months on researching Dorothy Canfield Fisher. You've been going to libraries, historical centers, um, and trying to educate the Vermont Board of Librarians why this name should be changed. Can you talk about what this struggle has been like for you and how people have reacted to you? Sure. Um, the struggle has been um, difficult at times, and I would categorize um, the, the struggle as coming up against um, three great groups of people. 
first there was a very supportive group and as soon as they shared the research that I had done, people were very, very supportive. Then there was a group that was violently opposed and many of these people had um, self-serving reasons for, for opposing. Um, they were uh, making fun, uh, uh, money off from Dorothy Canfield Fisher's work. Um, and they tried uh, divide and conquer and personal attacks in the papers and at the meetings. The third uh, group of people were the ones that were most upsetting to me, and those were the people who were silent. Hmm. Um, they often, I would say to a librarian, um, I'm trying to change the Dorothy Canfield Fisher Book Award name. I think it's great to encourage children to read. I think um, the program is a good program and helps um, entice children to be a part of a reading program. Um, and, and then I explain the Dorothy Canfield Fisher Award and they're like, wow, I never heard about this. I need to go to my mentors or people who had this job before me and talk to them. And they do, and they come back to me and they say, yeah, I talked to them and they knew about this. Mm. They knew Dorothy Canfield Fisher was a eugenicist. So I spoke with Nancy Gallagher about this. She's the author of Breeding Better Vermonters, and she published her book in 1999. And she told me that at that time, she had also spoken with librarians about it. And they all knew about it and did nothing. So the fact that for 20 years, key people knew that Dorothy Campbell Fisher was a eugenicist and time marched on and the book award continued to be after her name. Mm -hmm. name uh, the book award continued to be named after her. Um, for me, that was the most upsetting group of people to sit there and do nothing. Yeah. It reminds me a lot of Martin Luther King's letter to, from a Birmingham jail mm -hmm. that the white moderates were the most harmful group that they were going along with things even though they knew it wasn't right. Right. Um, so, Lauren, can you talk about why this book award is important to librarians and to young people? Sure. Um, I think this award is important for librarians because it's a program that I think most librarians um, who work in public schools in Vermont partake in. Um, and reasons being that the, there's about 30 books chosen um, to promote throughout the year. Um, and it's a real initiative to get uh, kids to start reading or mo read more um, there's it's a whole promotional kind of thing there's uh, packets that come with the books around with discussion questions and activities to do around the books and it's also um, something that the students can uh, interact with in the sense that they read five books and vote for their favorite so um, it's I think the biggest thing for librarians is a, it's a way to um, encourage students to read and have fun with it. Mm -hmm. um, and so this summer you've been in librarian classes and I'm wondering if you could share 
a little bit about your experiences and conversation with other librarians, um, specifically around whether or not to change the name of the Dorothy Canfield Fisher Book Award. Sure. Um, well, I can, uh, I can definitely say that librarians have been hesitant to speak up on this issue. I was taking a class this summer through UVM, and it was children's and young adult literature. So very, uh, very relevant to what is happening around the award. And I, would, I thought that um, most likely there would be a discussion about what's happening, uh, and a hopefully a critical one, um, to, to really get down to what's happening. And what I, um, what I found was that the, um, the conversations did begin, and yet they were shut down um, by the instructors. And like what Judy was saying before around the silence, every time I would bring up um, the topic or ask a question, I received dead silence mm. from my classmates. There were moments in class where the conversation around the award um, did start to pick up. There are people who were opposed to it, to the name change, and people who were for the name change in my class. Mm -hmm. um, for the name change, people would say, yes, it is time, we need to do this, without much else. But people who were against the award uh, would say things like, we have, to, we have to continue to honor the people who we honor in history, whether everybody does bad things, everyone mm. does things that, um, yeah, that are not good and we should continue to honor people no matter what. So um, I think one thing in my reflections around what happened throughout the class and the silence around the conversations is um, the connection between the state and how librarians are trained by the state. Mm -hmm. And it is the same state that conducted this survey, which again was not that long ago. And as you were saying, Becca, in the beginning of the show, how relevant and how continuous these practices are today. Um, so in, in light of the fact that librarians are trained by the state, I think that lends itself towards the silence and the, um, the reasons why librarians typically are afraid to voice their opinions because they're trained in a way to have the interests of the state in mind. Judy, can you tell us a little bit about why the name change of this award is important to you? Um, yeah, there's several reasons. Um, a, a very dear friend of mine um, who started, um, she was the co-founder of Oyate, which is a native organization that reviews children's literature for written about native people um, for historical accuracy and cultural appropriateness, um, passed away in January. And in the process of writing her obituary, um, it, the emails kept popping into my box about 
voting for the Dorothy Canfield Fisher Award. And I just kind of felt like there was this connection. So I put the obituary aside and started research. And as I continued to research, I felt even stronger that there was, uh, now was the time to bring up that issue. But more importantly, um, I'm now a meme. I'm now a grandmother. Mm. And I have two beautiful granddaughters, um, four and six. And there's so many negative things out there that they will encounter. I'm trying my best to, to lighten the baggage that they have to carry and to prevent um, less historical trauma from being passed from one generation to the next. Yeah. So Judy, who do you think, um, if we're gonna change the name of Dorothy Canfield Fisher uh, Award, what do you, who do you think it should be named after? Well, I've been asked that um, quite a few times, and I don't think it should be named after anyone. Actually, the national trend is to take um, names of people off awards because you you never know their history until it pops <laughs> up, and it can cause problems very similar to this. But the award um, it, it's focused on youth, and I think it would be really nice to um, have some kind of a name that that focus on youth. So, you know, the Green Mountain Youth Book Award or right, the yeah. Vermont Youth Book Award or something that pertains to the people who the award is for. Yeah. Our children, our greatest gift, right? So, Lauren, um, we were also wondering if you could talk just briefly about this idea of neutrality and that you are a librarian, you are kind of the curator of your um, collection of books and you promote reading in your library and that you have to be um, neutral. And also if you could talk about this, um, about resistance and what resistance looks like in libraries and amongst librarians and how we stand up for the things that we believe in. Sure. Um. First of all, on neutrality, I don't believe in such thing. Um, <laughs> for example, uh, buying a book is a political act in the sense that you are saying either yes or no to this book. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, I find so many contradictions in librarianship because we we are supposed to teach students to be able to discern fact from fiction and truth from untruth and to make uh, educated um, opinions around information that is, is accurate and truthful. And so everything that surrounds that is very political. Mm -hmm. um, so the fact that the training for librarians is um, around uh, showing, always be, always showing both sides, um, and really what's been um, really uh, pronounced is the fact that of, to keep, for librarians to keep their opinions to themselves, but to, um, be disseminators of information, uh, which is relatively impossible to do. <laughs> um, 
so as far as neutrality, I don't think that is really even possible. Um, we're always choosing which side we are on. And um, as far as resistance goes, I think there is a lot of good work that is being done um, in the librarian world. Um, in regards to um, I mean, there's the whole we need diverse books movement um, that is really pushing for um, books and authors and um, bringing alive the voices of people who've been oppressed, which is um, a great thing that there's movement towards more diversity in, in literature. Um, yeah, mm -hmm. that would be one thing, and I'm there amongst many ways that librarians are resisting right now. Yeah. So um, again, for our listeners out there who have been inspired to make their voices heard about this issue, and to ask Scott Murphy to change the name of the um, Dorothy Canfield Fisher Book Award. Um, his again his contact information is scott murphy he's the vermont state librarian his phone number is 802-828-3261 his email address is scott s-c-o-t-t -T, dot murphy m-u-r-p-h-y at vermont.gov um, in addition, we also have a petition going on change.org. Um, you can go to change.org and then search the name of the petition. It is Change the Name of the Dorothy Canfield Fisher Book Award. And you can sign our petition online there. And you could just shorten it Dorothy Canfield Fisher. It's the first thing that pops up. And I just wanted to say that we've had an outstanding amount of support just in this petition was started Friday and there are already 86 supporters. And so the listeners out there were watching the numbers as the radio show continues to make sure some people have signed the petition before the end of the show. That's a challenge. Let's get 14 to reach 100. So when we come back, we will be talking about the larger significance of this issue, as well as similar movements happening across the country. Um, but first we have Pete Seeger with Which Side Are You On? Which side are you on, boys? Which side are you on? Which side are you on, boys? Which side are you on? They say in Harlan County There are no neutrals there You'll either be a union man Or a thug for J.H. Blair Which side are you on, boys? Which side are you on? Tell me, which side are you on, boys? Which side are you on? My daddy was a miner, and I'm a miner's son. He'll be with you, fellow workers, until this battle's won. Tell me, which side are you on? 
understand it Tell me how you can Will you be a lousy scab Or will you be a man Which side are you on? Which side are you on? Tell me which side are you on? Which side are you on? Today's programming on WVEW is underwritten in part by Everyone's Books. Located in downtown Brattleboro at 25 Elliott Street, Everyone's Books is a family-owned, independent bookstore that has been serving the community for over 30 years. They specialize in books about social change, the environment, politics, and travel, and offer a huge range of children's books. You can reach them by phone at 802-254-8160 or online via their website at everyonesbks.com. WVEW thanks Everyone's Books for their support of this station. Welcome back. You're listening to Indigo Radio on 107.7 FM, Brattleboro Community Radio Station. Today's show is about the Vermont Eugenics Survey in connection with the movement to change the name of the Dorothy Canfield Fisher Fisher Book Award. We are here with Judy Dow and Lauren Pearlstein. So in this moment in history, from streets to towns, libraries to book awards, we name things after people we think should be honored. And in numerous places around the country right now, people are fighting to remove these racist symbols of people whose ideas and actions are now understood as misogynistic against the poor and racist. And so we're going to give a few examples now. Um, Yeah, so there's actually a lot of places around the country where these symbols are being torn down. And I think that um, most of us have heard, because it's pretty much it's the top news story today, um, about Charlottesville, Virginia, and the act of terrorism that happened yesterday. Um, so basically, um, Charlotte's, in Charlottesville, Virginia, people had worked really hard to get the city to remove the Robert E. Lee statue in town. Um, Robert E. Lee was a Confederate general. And um, so the statue is slated to be moved. And um, I think it was two day, two nights ago arrived a large group of white supremacists and neo-Nazis in order to protest the removal of the statue and try to prevent its removal. And so um, people who were in favor of removing the statue and opposed to the neo-Nazis showed up and they started um, a peaceful march and singing um, a lot of civil rights songs and... Um, chanting slogans to be in favor of removing this white supremacist symbol. And what happened was that a, one of the white supremacists got in his car and ran several people over, killing one woman and injuring several others. Um, and, I, and I think that actually this is so important because it really shows the, the people, people's reactions to this removal of a statue are really incredible and they're really vitriolic. And it shows how deeply rooted the white supremacy is in this country. Mm. And um, I also, this is also, this also is a significant, um, another significant example that I wanted to mention is that in New Orleans, they just removed the fourth Confederate statue. Um, there were four slated to be removed. They move, remove three. They just removed the fourth one. And they knew that it was going to be a, 
um, they was going to they were going to be under attack um, by white supremacist groups for removing it. They, it was a I believe it was a Robert E. Lee statue as well. Um, and so they planned in order to remove the statue, um, workers wore bulletproof vests and they did a um, kind of stealthy. They planned a stealthy removal at night to, to um, try to um, protect the safety of the workers removing the Robert E. Lee statue. Um, and that included police snipers on the tops of nearby buildings in order to protect these workers. Hmm. And you know, it's not just statues right now, it's also holidays that have been celebrated, right? So mm -hmm. there's a infamous holiday named after Columbus. Mm -hmm. And having a holiday named Columbus Day has so much meaning behind it. It means that this is somebody that we honor. This is somebody, right, that quote unquote discovered America, even though every historian has proven, proves, can you can prove that wrong, that first of all, there are already people living here. You can't discover people who are already living here. And secondly, he wasn't even the first European to come to the Americas. So what we're honoring, what the symbol, the message that we're sending to kids is, we honor someone who was racist, who massacred, who started the colonization of the Americas. And so there's been a big movement to change this date in the second Monday, I think, in October to Indigenous Peoples Day. And since 2015, at least 14 communities across the United States have passed a measure to call this second Monday in October Indigenous Peoples Day. Vermont, ironically, uh, passed this resolution only for one year. So that will be a big struggle coming up again this year to get it permanently, Columbus Day permanently removed from our calendars. Mm -hmm. um, Becca, I actually want, also wanted to give a really local example. Um, so Amherst College in Amherst, Massachusetts, uh, just last year, um, finally succeeded in their struggle to change their mascot. So their mascot was sort of unofficially uh, Lord Jeff. And Lord Jeff is Lord Jeffrey Amherst, who Amherst, the town, is named after Lord Jeffrey Amherst. Um, and so they had this unofficial mascot. Um, and so who was Lord Jeff? He was a general during the American Revolutionary Period in the 1700s. And he was a main participant in this area, in the New England area, in the genocide and removal of the Native Americans. Um, he, is, he is especially remembered, actually, for handing out smallpox blankets. And so um, this movement really did piggyback on the other movements to remove racist symbols from the public sphere. And students worked hard, and the... Um, Amherst and the Amherst faculty were behind them and the board voted, yeah, we are going to not only, we, we are not only going to um, remove Lord Jeffrey's name from all of our college literature, we are not going to have him as our official symbol anymore, but we are also going to change the name of the um, inn. There's a Lord Jeffrey inn that Amherst College um, is affiliated with or runs, I think. Um, and so they are, I'm not sure if they found a new name for that inn, but they've removed the Lord Jeffrey name from that inn. Great. So I guess um, in the last couple of minutes of our show, my question to all of us here in the studio is why is this, um, why should we put a lot of um, power into changing these symbols, uh, changing the names of streets, towns, libraries, awards? <laughs> I'm curious what you all think. 
Becca, I actually really wanted to, I wanted to read um, a, a note that one of the, our petition signers wrote when he signed the Dorothy, um, the petition to get the Dorothy Canfield Fisher Book Award changed. He said, we the people demand the right to live in truth and we can only do that when we expel the myths that honored our oppression. And so I think part of this is about, right, um, taking down these symbols that represent myths that uphold oppression that still exists. The mm. oppression has not gone away. I agree with you. Um, the thing for me that is important is that um, it's about time that people start listening to the stories the oppressed have to tell. And some of them are quite amazing. I mean, when you look at the indigenous efforts to tear down dams that colonizers had built mm. and the success they're having when they simply tear down a dam in reclaiming the fish and the, and the animal life that comes back to that place. And in the Penobscot River is a perfect example of that. They've taken down three dams and the the wildlife has been amazing and there's been this collaboration and conversation that's happened between the penobscot and the state of maine and so without conversation that ha has a safe environment where you can share a differing perspective it's not going to change there has to be a safe environment for conversation to exist and for people to hear the side of the story of those that were oppressed. Hmm. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, I think that just as books are, are stories and, and stories shape history, monuments and, um, and all, all sorts of things mentioned earlier are also part of a larger story. And I think that when we, when we work to oppose some of these things and work to actually change them, we are in part working to change that larger story um, for the children and, and for a better, um, Future. I think a huge part of it is opening up a conversation. Uh, how I've used the when Brattleboro was thinking about changing um, Columbus Day to Indigenous Peoples Day in the classroom, and how a conversation like that is a valuable um, educational uh, moment as well. Mm. And as a social studies teacher if we don't understand history we can't understand today and there is still it's rampant in society the hatred of the poor today the same ideas that dorothy canfield fisher promoted are being said about our children in schools and it's it's infuriating that this that we have not broken from this legacy yet um i see it totally connected you the idea that poor people are defective, right? That was part of the eugenics survey, and that was part of 
what we hear today, blaming poor people for their own conditions and saying that there's something inherently wrong with them and institutionalizing people. We are still institutionalizing people in prisons, a warehouse of people who are unwanted in society because of traits that we've deemed on, um, like, I'm sorry, I'm undesirable. Undesirable. <laughs> Thank you very much. And also, you know, I hear a lot, um, sort of sarcastically sometimes from people, oh, when I bring up Columbus or bring up, um, you know, the seizure of land from indigenous people and the seizure of their, their, their people and the enslavement and people and people say, oh, the original sin, we, why do you keep talking about that? Um, as if, as if colonialism ended a long time ago and we can't move on. But we can't move on because colonialism never ended. And when we see these statues and when we have white supremacist groups coming to oppose the removal of a statue, that is the legacy of colonialism. And that is the way that it continues today. Like Becca said, institutionalization, hatred of the poor, white supremacy. And so to me, this is the fight the continued fight um, that we've been fighting for 500 years against colonization. I just wanted to let our listeners know that Indigo Radio, uh, the show postponed from last week because there was a power outage with Anna and Lauren, will be um, on Maricopa County Jail uh, talking an interview with Dr. Charles Milani, a doctor that has been working in the Maricopa County Jail in Phoenix, Arizona for nine years. And Anna will also be talking about her visit there um, and Sheriff Joe Arpaia. Um, and so please join us next week. A few other announcements um, very connected to our show today. Brattleboro Solidarity will host its third study group on the, de- uh, the construction of whiteness really looking at how whiteness has been um, created by humans, this idea of whiteness to benefit a group of people and how deeply connected it is to class. We'll be having our third study session in Antioch, uh, in Keene, September 25th, uh, the next four Mondays from 6 to 7.30. So email brattleborosolidarity at gmail.com if you're interested and Join us tonight uh, at the rallies. Please come out and show your support for Charlottesville. 2 p.m. at the Center Congregation Church here in Brattleboro and 7 p.m. in Northampton City Hall. And thank you you so much, Judy and Lauren, for joining us. And don't forget to call Scott Murphy, Vermont State Librarian, to make your voice hear it about the Dorothy Canfield Fisher Book Award. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. Thanks so much. Thank you. show tune in to the one shift with lady out and enjoy the music every thursday 11 to 1 on wvew lp brattleboro 107.7 fm your community radio station peace